you. Turn with me again to 1 Timothy and chapter 5 as we work our way through uh, the pastoral epistles of 1 and 2 Timothy and Titus. And this morning we come to uh, 1 Timothy 5 verses 17 through 25. Now I had intended to take this uh, passage together. But I repented of that sin, and uh, I'm only going to take the first two verses. We'll read the whole passage, but we'll deal with only uh, a small portion of this text this morning. This is God's word. The elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. The scripture says, you shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing, and The laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not receive an accusation against an elder, except on the basis of two or three witnesses. Those who continue in sin rebuke in the presence of all, so that the rest also will be fearful of sinning. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, and of his chosen angels, to maintain these principles without bias, doing nothing in a spirit of partiality. Do not lay hands upon anyone too hastily and thereby share responsibility for, their, for the sins of others. Keep yourself free from sin. No longer drink water exclusively, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. The sins of some men are quite evident, going before them to judgment. For others, their sins follow after them. Likewise, also deeds that are good are quite evident. And those which are otherwise cannot be concealed. That is God's word. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much again for the opportunity to be together with your people. And we realize that we're about to embark upon a very, very important part of our worship where we turn from our expressions of praise and adoration and prayers to you to, to sit attentively at your feet and before your word. We've just sung that you would speak, O Lord, to us. And we pray that you would do that, not through a man, but through your book and by the power and the presence of your Holy Spirit. Would you be our instructor, our teacher, our helper, our guide this morning? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I really have been amazed as we've gone through the pastoral epistles at how much the focus in these letters, and especially we've been going through 1 Timothy, how much the focus is on the leadership of the church. I just can't stress enough as to how much leadership matters. It is a true saying, as goes the leadership, so goes the church. A church simply cannot rise above the level of its leaders. Now, again, we believe in our circles that a biblical church is ruled, is shepherded, is overseen by elders. North Point, again, is what is called an elder-led church. We have two kinds of elders here. Uh, There are the ruling elders, and there are the teaching elders. The ruling elders are the laymen, to whom is given the primary responsibility for ruling over or overseeing or shepherding, guiding the ministry of the church. The teaching elders 
or what we know as the pastors, and those who have been seminary trained and whose primary responsibility is for teaching and instructing the body from the Word of God. Now, both are equal in value. We believe in what is called the parity of the elders, which means that the only distinction between them is in function. They serve the church on equal footing. It's not as though the teaching elders are up here and the ruling elders are down here, but together they serve on equal footing in the eyes of God and in the eyes of the congregation. Now in verses 17 through 25 that I read this morning, Paul touches on three specific areas of the church's relationship with its elders. First is how they are to be honored. The second is how they are to be disciplined. And the third is how they are to be selected. As I said, I intended originally to go through the text and have a three-point sermon, and those would be the three points, honoring the elders, disciplining the elders, selecting the elders, but that's way too much for one Sunday. You might think what I've got today is already too much, but uh, I'm just going to deal with the first point. I have a one-point sermon this morning from the first two verses. It is generally believed that in verse 17, where Paul makes specific reference to those who preach and teach, that he's referring to those that we know as the teaching elders or the pastors. So the general focus of this passage is on the church and its leaders, or the church and its elders, or also the church and its pastors. Uh, When Paul is talking about those here who uh, preach and teach, he's making specific reference to the relationship between the church and its pastor. And as he goes on into verse 18, it's clear that he's talking about how the church compensates its pastor or how the pastor is paid. Now, this is one of those sermons where I would really rather a visiting preacher come and address this subject to you. But I made a commitment. And the commitment before the Lord and to you is to preach the whole counsel of God and not to shrink away from anything that we find in the text. After the service last Sunday, someone came up to me and expressed appreciation for the fact that I had dealt with how Uh, The Bible instructs children to care for and to provide for the needs of their aging parents. That was in the text last week. And my response to them was this. It's one of the advantages of preaching through books of the Bible. Because you come to things that you might otherwise try to avoid or that you might not choose to preach on. Now, there is a time and a place for what we call topical preaching. And I do some of that along the way. In fact, I'm thinking and praying about doing a topical series when we complete this series through the pastoral epistles. But it is our belief that it is by consistently and regularly plodding our way through books of the Bible, book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, that God most effectively feeds our souls. And so here we are, working our way through this letter that Paul wrote to Timothy years ago, looking at the church and its leaders, the church and its elders, yes, the church and its pastors. Now this can sometimes be a sensitive area. 
So I've decided to just kind of open it up this morning, let the light shine in, and uh, see what the Bible has to say. This sermon is going to be a little different at points, uh, perhaps a bit more personal than some. Uh, but our question is always is, what does the Bible say? Now, in verses 17 and 18, where we're focusing our attention this morning, it's clear uh, that Paul is talking about the importance of honoring the leaders of the church. Verse 17, the elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially, he says, those who work hard at preaching and teaching. Now, let me make it clear that when Paul there begins that verse, speaking of the elders who rule well, he's speaking of all elders. In particular, I think he's referring to what we know as the ruling elders. And uh, they are worthy, he says, of respect, or they're worthy of honor. No, what he says is, when they rule well, they're worthy of double honor of a double portion of honor. Well, what does that mean? You know, the Bible is clear in saying that we are to honor everyone who is in a position of authority over us. You know, children are to honor their parents. Citizens are to honor their governmental leaders. Employees are to honor their employers. And in the church... Members of the church are to honor their leaders, and in our case, to honor the elders. If you look with me at Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, I actually put this verse on the front of your bulletin this morning. Hebrews chapter 13. Some of you have noticed that I do have a new Bible. Same translation, but the pages still stick together. Hebrews 13, verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. And if you go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 that we actually read in our unison reading of Scripture earlier in our worship, 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 and 13. But we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor, labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord, and that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. And that's the same thing Paul says here in verse 17 of our chapter. Give the elders who rule well double honor. Esteem them highly. Yes, part of that is because of their position. Elders are to be honored and respected simply because of the place God has put them in the body of Christ. But more than that, they are to be honored because of their work, because of their labor, because they rule well, because of their efforts as serving the body of Christ. Now, I want to take this opportunity to do what the text tells us to do. And that's to honor elders who rule well. I've been around a lot of elders in my day. Some excellent, and not so, some not so much. Uh, I served with a long time, for a long time, with John Triplett's daddy. He was an elder in church I served before I came here. And John's daddy 
is an excellent elder. He's an elder who rules well. And the Bible says, Mike Triplett is worthy of double honor. And I want to say again that your elders here at North Point rule well. And they are worthy of double honor. Now, uh, they're not perfect. And they make mistakes sometimes. And they don't do everything they're supposed to do. But guess what? Neither do I. They are good elders. Elders who love the Lord, who love the church, who love you. Who want to be obedient. Who want this church to glorify God in all it does. Yes, they are worthy of double honor. And so my exhortation to you as we begin this morning is this. Do what the Bible says. Appreciate them. Esteem them highly in love. Obey them and submit to them. Be thankful for them. And realize that they keep watch over your souls. But then Paul goes on to make a distinction. And the distinction in verse 17 is between those who rule well and are worthy of double honor. And those he describes as those who work hard at preaching and teaching. Now here's where we think we find a distinction between what we know as the ruling elder on the one hand and the teaching elders or the pastors on the others. And even though there is honor and respect to be given to the one who holds the pastoral position, particular honor is to be given, Paul says, to those who work hard at it. Those are not my words. Those are Paul's words. I talked a few weeks ago when we were in chapter 4 about how pastors are to be hard workers. And even though that is not the general perception in culture, in the culture about pastors, that we are to prove that perception be wrong. We're to work hard at this. We're to give ourselves to it. We are to be submersed in it. And people should recognize and know that we are. Believe it or not, preaching and teaching, it's hard work. And the Bible says we are to work hard at it. But Paul says part of the honor to be given to those who work hard at preaching and teaching, to the teaching elders, to the pastors, is not just respect, it's not just honor, but it's also proper remuneration. He says in verse 18, For the scripture says, You shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. Now, I've been called a lot of things over the years, some uh, pleasant and some not so pleasant, but I've never been called an ox. But here, that's what, what Paul calls me. Using an Old Testament reference from uh, the book of Deuteronomy, uh, where it says, do not muzzle the ox while he is threshing. And in those days, uh, the threshing of the wheat was done many times by the ox uh, pulling a piece of machinery around in a circle all day long. And when the ox was doing the threshing, as he was doing his work, he was not to be muzzled, but rather he was to be allowed to eat as much of the wheat as he needed to continue to do his work. 
And Paul also quotes that same phrase in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, if you turn there with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. If you have your Bibles, you can look there with me for just a second. And where he makes the same point. He says, For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing. God is not concerned about oxen, is he? Then if you drop, drop down to verse 11, he says, If we sowed spiritual things in you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? And then in verse 17, Paul also quotes Jesus from Matthew 10.10 when he was sending out uh, his disciples uh, to minister. Uh, he said... The labor is worthy of his wages. He, he does, he's worthy of them. He deserves them, he says, so do not withhold them from him. Now, Paul generally avoided this kind of discussion. Avoided the idea of remuneration for pastoral service. And you know, Paul was reluctant to take it. And sometimes Paul didn't take it. Uh, Paul often worked as a tent maker. Uh, literally making tents, but we call you know tent making ministries today. A pastor works on the side to provide for himself. That's called a tent making ministry, taken from the fact that Paul literally was a, a maker of tents, and he would uh, use that uh, and the proceeds from that to support himself, not to be a burden to the church. And, and Paul, instead of focusing so much on the remuneration or the honorarium. He rather focused upon the heart and the condition of the heart that result in God's people providing proper remuneration or proper honorariums. You see, those who honor their pastors, those who respect their pastors, not only because of their position, but also because of their hard work, will not begrudge their pastors generous financial support. When churches are fussy about how much to pay the pastors, there's a problem. And it's usually not a financial problem. It's usually a heart problem. Now I made it clear when we were back in chapter 4 that the pastor is not to worry about those things. My responsibility and Gavin's responsibility, Paul says, here is to work hard at preaching and teaching. It's the officer's responsibility to make sure that we are adequately compensated for it. A pastor is not to uh, politic for more money. He's not to try to uh, see that his salary is increased. You know, the way a pastor gets his salary increased is by working hard. And by being diligent in his labors. Because even though we are paid for what we do, the pay should not be our primary concern. When I received my first call to my first church, which was now 34 years ago this spring. Well, that sounds like a long time ago, doesn't it? It was a little church in South Mississippi. And... Uh, the salary they were offering was 
extremely low. I'm not sure it was five figures. There was a house, though, right next to the church in which we could live. And I had friends who thought I was crazy or even considering that call. And so one day I went to the office of uh, Dr. Bill Stanway. Uh, Bill Stanway's son is a ruling elder still at First Church Hattiesburg, but Bill Stanway taught in the practical theology department at RTS in those days. That's his, that's the, he taught the courses on how to do ministry and how to be a pastor. And I went and sat in Bill Stanway's office one day. This is a man old enough to be my grandfather at the time. And I told him my situation, told him what the church was offering and what people were saying and asked for his advice. And I forget what he told me. He said, Bob, if you go into that church and you work hard at being their pastor and if the Lord blesses the church, the church is going to bless you. You know, I found that advice to be true over and over again through the years. And what I figured all along is that whatever the church paid was a lot more than I was worth. But you know, I, I, uh, I accepted the call to that church. Uh, you know, calls, uh, pastoral calls have to be approved by the Presbytery. So I went to the Presbytery and there was a, a lot of concern at the Presbytery over the call. A lot of questions. Uh, a lot of uh, discussion. They finally approved it, and I accepted it, and uh, went to that little church with that little salary. But you know, the money didn't matter. It just didn't matter. God loved those people, and those people loved me. And I tried to do hard. I tried to do what Paul says here. I tried to work hard at preaching and teaching. There was nobody on the staff but me. I was the preacher, I was the secretary, I was the janitor, I was a part-time yard man. I'd get up every morning and I'd walk from the house over to the church, go upstairs to my little office, make a pot of coffee, and I'd start studying and preparing sermons. They knew if they wanted to get hold of me not to call the house, but to call the, call the church. In the afternoons, I get in my, I think it was a 1963 Ford uh, car that I bought from my, from my grandfather for $500. If you want to know what kind of car it was, everybody ever watch Andy Griffith? He had a sheriff's car just like what I drove. But I get in my car, and I'd go around, and I'd, I'd visit folks. On Fridays, I do the bulletin by cutting a stencil. A lot of you don't even know what a stencil is. I used a typewriter, old electric typewriter. Some of you don't know what a typewriter is. But I'd sit there and I'd cut that stencil and I messed up. Guess what I had to do? I had to start all over again. And some of you know my typing skills are not very good. Sometimes it'd take three or four tries, but finally I'd get that, that stencil cut. And the most aggravating thing about cutting a stencil is when you do a, a, the letter O or a number zero, the middle falls out. See, the problem with that was I had to take that stencil and put it on an old hand-cranked 
ink-filled mimeograph machine. Now, a lot of you don't know what that is. We had no copy machine in the church. And I would stand there and hand crank those bulletins from that mimeograph machine. And usually, the ink came pouring through those little holes, the, the typewriter cut in the stencil. And usually those bulletins were, a, were an inky mess. And I was usually an inky mess when I was through. But bless his heart, Dr. Stanway was right. The Lord blessed that little church. And you know what? That church blessed me. And they did their best to do what Paul says here. They did their best not to muzzle the ox while he was threshing. They did their best to pay the labor of what he was worth. Why do I say all that this morning? I say that for one reason, it's in the text. <laughs> but there is many times what a pastor pays its, or a church pays its pastor can be a touchy subject. And I want you to understand it may not be I get paid a very comfortable salary here. But I want you to understand, I'm not here for that. I'm here for you. And whatever the officers determine it's worth, then I'm fine with that. And while we're on it, I prepared him for this. While we're on it, while I was recruiting Gavin, I knew, we didn't talk about this openly here, but I knew the salary that we were offering Gavin was uh, one that was too low. Uh, you know, and Presbyterians now have minimum standards. They don't have, didn't have them back in, when I was ordained, but they have minimum standards now. And, and what we offered Gavin coming in barely met the minimum standards. But I told him when we met together, basically I told him what Dr. Stanway told me. I said, look, if you come in, you work hard, and the Lord blesses your ministry, the officers will do what they can to help you. And guess what? That's exactly what happened. The Lord blessed, the church prospered, and the officers were able to increase the salary into last year. Because that's what it's about. It's about pastors working hard, at preaching and teaching and the church being blessed and the church responding in generosity. You see, I'm here for one reason. I'm here to serve the Lord. It just happens that I, have, I serve the Lord by serving you. And, and I've said it before, I'll say it again, folks. It, it's a joy. It's a joy to serve as your pastor. And, and you know, I just... I just thank you for paying me to do it. Now, I'm going to tell you again. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's hard. This isn't all I do. This is the most important thing that I do. But even this is hard. You know, do you realize the responsibility this is? to try to prepare a sermon each week it's not just a lecture it's not just an historical lesson 
but has something in it that will feed your soul. I feel that weight and that burden every week. Because I don't want to go through the motions here. And I don't want to just preach another sermon. But I want to give you something that will encourage your heart and teach you what God says and feed your soul. Oh, I do lots of other things. Some of you don't know. Some of it I can't say. But it's with me all the time. It's hard sometimes. I, I tell my wife that my favorite time of the week is Sunday night. When I get home on Sunday nights, so that's the one time of the week when I feel like I'm done. I'm done. But you know, Monday morning rolls around. You know, Sundays come around pretty regular. And I work hard again trying to provide something else the next Lord's Day. That's what Paul says, isn't it? We're to work hard at preaching and teaching. You know, ministry can be hard. It is not, I don't want to be up here with a pity party this morning. That's not the purpose of this at all. You know. And let's, I felt guilty this week preparing this sermon. Because there are a lot of you who are engaged in a lot of ministry who don't get a dime for it. And a lot of you carry the burdens and the weight of the ministry just because you love the Lord and because you love the church. And folks, you're the ones who deserve double honor. Because you do it because of your love for Jesus and your desire to be pleasing to Him. And as I thought about it this week, and I could name names this morning. You know who you are. People who give given themselves and their time and use their gifts in the ministry of the church and serving the Lord Jesus just because they love Him. And just because they love His people. But you know. You know it can be hard. Whether it's preparing a Sunday school lesson every week. Or a Bible study for the women. Or preparing for Bible school. Or leading the women. Or trying to pump up the men. You know, it can be hard. But it was hard for Jesus, wasn't it? And what did Jesus say? I did not come to be served, but I came to serve. And, and I came to give my life. And that's what it is in the church. We all work together to serve Jesus. To make His church what He wants it to be. And I thank you for allowing me to be here to serve in this capacity for you. May God be glorified. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word. And we struggle sometimes in dealing with portions of it, but I thank you for the freedom to talk openly and honestly this morning with these people that I love and who I know love me. And I thank you for providing 
opportunities for all of us to serve. And I pray that together we would make this church what you would have it to be. That we together as a body might bring glory and honor to the Lord Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.